Coming up, today's guest is Rebecca Naxon, founder at the growth agency Notable. You'll discover her creative handoff strategy to engage your users and get them to buy more. Also, you'll hear why visualization is so important to actually taking actions on your data, why you should not just look at the average of the data, and finally, how product and marketing teams should cooperate. All that and so much more. The most action-packed content from the top mobile experts. This is the App Masters Podcast with Steve P. Young. Pollen VC gives app developers early access to their app store and advertising revenues, enabling them to scale quickly and efficiently without relying on outside funding, and more importantly, giving up their equity. Learn more at pollen.vc. For just one low monthly price, you will discover our greatest growth hacks to driving massive downloads. You can learn more on appmastersacademy.com. What is up, App Nation? It is Steve P. Young, founder of AppMasters.com, the place you go when you want action-packed content related to growing your app business. So I talk to some phenomenal people. Frankly, all I do is really talk to some amazing people and really learn from them so that we collectively can all grow together. And today, I've got a phenomenal guest. We met at the Mobile Spree Conference done by Just. If you guys haven't checked that out, definitely check it out. It was a great event, and Rebecca really dropped some knowledge. So I was like, you got to come on the podcast and let me share your knowledge with my audience as well. So let me introduce the guest. She's got some amazing experience from Audible, iHeartRadio, Bands in Town, and now she is the founder of her, her own growth agency called Notable. Check them out, notablegrowth.com. But, but without further ado, Rebecca Naxon, welcome to the show. <laughs> oh my God, this is so exciting. Thank you for that very kind introduction. I almost forgot your last name. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm <laughs> kind of just had to throw it in there. No worries. It's more important that you get notable out there than my own last name anyway. Awesome. Well, Rebecca, like, what made you start your agency? Because I know you're running growth for Prolific Interactive, but then you just started to, you know, you became the founder of your own agency. So t- yes. talk to me about that journey. I'm always curious about how somebody, because like, I had the same journey working for growth at a startup in San Francisco now and then running obviously my own thing, but like, tell me about your journey. I would love to. And, um, I, I just want to start off by saying that I listened to this podcast. Um, and it sort of is where my whole journey began is, is by, uh, listening to other experts in the space. So it's very, very exciting and flattering to, uh, now be participating, um, so my, my story is that, uh, you name some of the brands that I worked for. Um, I've been working in marketing for, um, gosh, more than 15 years now. Mm-hmm. A lot has changed in those 15 years. And that's why, as I mentioned, I was listening to podcasts. I, I was, uh, studying uh, everything that was changing and my own experience as a marketer, um, is the lens through which I consult now because there were always the tactics that I was learning as a marketer. But at the same time, obviously, over the last 15 years, so much has changed uh, with the technology. And, um, 
you know, it, it certainly ages me when I talk about the fact that digital was like an afterthought uh, when I was first starting. Um, it was actually when I was working in user acquisition at iHeart that I think um, we first had to buy a tool that would help us um, understand, it was, you know, it was a requirement in order to run some of this paid media that we had this dashboard. And that challenge of both running campaigns that have a lot of budget attached to them, so they're already uh, very visible and important within the organization. So there's a lot of pressure that goes along with that. And at the same time, there's this technology that I have to learn and be able to explain to other people in the organization. I felt like I was doing double duty. And along the Years since then, when we were um, either changing the tools that we were using for email or our product analytics, I found myself going through this journey time and time again. Um, and uh, being somebody who experienced it, I thought I can now consult on it and I'm going to have an interesting perspective. That's what brought me to Prolific. Um, Prolific was acquired uh, earlier this year. Uh, I should say in 2019, since this podcast might be uh, airing in 2020. Yes. <laughs> and um, that was the moment to say, okay, maybe now it's time for me to have my own agency that does it. So that's what, what brings me to where I am today. And there's certainly a bunch of nuggets along that story that, that um, influence what we do at Notable. Um, one part of it is for so long, I was reluctant to start my own business. And I think besides the um, all the things that you have to think about when you're running a business, I also I feel like there's I, I had this own standard for myself of uh, just like the products that I've always worked on. I want to feel like I'm really solving something and solving it in a way that's different than other products that exist out there. And I think it was really important for me to get an opportunity to spend some time consulting before I started my own business. But I really felt that that empathy and that perspective I had as a, as a former user and client myself um, is important and was missing from the conversation that I saw out there. So that's what we think in part makes us notable at notable is that we are all former clients ourselves. That's great. I have that same philosophy, Rebecca, because you know, my journey started because of this podcast built up the audience. And then I always have the founder at heart because I was that person, right? Like when I was yes. just trying to figure out the app space, I just started interviewing people and I just feel so lucky and fortunate to have this audience and my own business because all I did was just, talk to people like you or who knew much more than I did. And I was just like, Hey, how did you do this? How'd you do that? And they were willing to share. And the fact is that, you know, like the audience thought that I, because I have all this knowledge and I talked to so many great people that I somehow am <laughs> capable of running growth <laughs> too, which, you know, yes. like, I'm not saying I don't, but I'm just saying like that. Yes. It, I have that at the core of what we do is always looking out for the founder as well. I, I, I totally agree. And curiosity um, is, at the center of, of, you know, what you and I do. And I think that um, 
that's really what also fuels us here. Like we're just very interested in working with as many brands and as many tools and as many use cases. And it's why being on this side has really suited me in a way that I maybe didn't appreciate before. I think I wanted to get into this space because I felt like there were answers that I had needed that I hadn't been able to find. That was sort of my motivation initially. But I have found that the rapid exposure to different brands uh, really drives that, that with that curiosity side of me. So um, it's, uh, it's been a real pleasure and um, we just really enjoy the work that we're doing and the partners that we get to do it with. Awesome. Hey, Rebecca. So I kind of want to talk about this, you know, now we're, we're recording this end of 2019, but we're now fully into 2020. What's got you most excited about growth? So now you're talking to a client, you're looking at it. I'm curious to see what you analyze for that client. And also like, you know, what's one channel that you're like, Hey, this is very exciting one from a growth sector. Sure. I think that the thing that really excites me is that, as I mentioned, things have changed a lot since I first started and Marketing uh, and engineering and um, data felt much more at odds with one another versus how closely integrated they are today. And what's interesting and fun is to actually be able to bring those worlds together. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, there's that old adage of, I, I know that 50% of my marketing or advertising is working. I just don't know which right. is the 50%, right? And that yeah. was, when I was first starting, it was all about those best practices of keep the copy above the fold and you know use a shorter subject line. Right. And it was difficult because you had to test everything and back your way into these best practices. The technology is such today that a lot of your questions are answered or you can be doing personalization in a way that there doesn't have to be one best practice that works for your entire audience. And so one of the biggest messages that we try to communicate to partners that we're working with who maybe are just introducing some of these tools into their process is that you might be making your job a lot harder for yourself than you have to if you're not taking advantage of looking in your data and understanding already what is working. Like the answer is probably, I I, I kind of compare it to that needle in the haystack. Um, And so you probably have the answer within the, the data that you have. You just haven't uncovered it. And something that we try to introduce, especially as we're working with somebody for the first time, is that they've probably been hearing a lot about tools, um, you know, processes, whatever it might be that they don't have, they haven't yet purchased. And so we try to have a message that's different than that, which is let's just try to take advantage of the things that you already do have or the tools that you already are using and, and not be looking outside of your current technology stack. Um, because have there's, there's all these great numbers about how much data is actually analyzed versus, right? And so something that really resonates with um, 
people when we're kicking off is we'll be asking about A-B testing and they'll be telling us that they do a lot of it and they're tracking performance. And then I'll say, and how often as a team are you sitting together and reviewing the results and making changes accordingly? And I would say that nine out of 10 times they say, yeah, that's true. We're actually not doing any of that, right? So if we just start by looking at um, what they already have available to them, but really making it a, a workflow where they're iterating off of those results and doing something different as, you know, accordingly. Yeah. Sorry. In terms go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I don't want to so, stop you. In terms of like channels that we're, we're really excited by, I would say that kind of in that same philosophy, it's less about a new up and coming um, channel or, or technique, but rather bringing all of that together in a unified profile. So we work with a number of clients that have uh, brick and mortar um, and what they probably haven't done yet is connected their digital data to their in-store um, as well as some of their uh, out-of-home channels. And so the, the best thing that we can do is, as opposed to introduce something new into that ecosystem, get more connected on what's already working and doing more of that. And some of the work that we're doing is, is pretty non-technical in that maybe it's a visualization of their life cycle communication and just done in a way that it's easy for them to share out with other teams in the organization. And sometimes that alone is the biggest thing that we can, you know, the biggest gift that we can give to them because everybody is operating in their silos. And just by being those outsiders that are coming in and seeing for the first time, like you're working on one part of the communication, like it's very common that the marketing team will own, let's say email and push notifications and the product team will own in-app messages. And are they even updating one another with things that they're learning there or campaigns that they're running in order for each one of them to learn from what the other is doing or maybe connect the dots so that that messaging is tells a, a complete and unified picture for the for the audience yeah and i found that you know i was doing this post where it was like the top growth tools from well the top tools from ua managers and surprisingly you know a lot of the people i work with are smaller entrepreneurs but visualization was such a big thing that i didn't even think about that i was like oh wow that's that's crazy like obviously you have all this data you need to visualize it so that you can see clearly what you need to do next yeah i this is um a big topic that we talk about because anytime there are these moments of, of transformation it's really easy to lose sight of the fact that it's only as good as your ability to take advantage of it. So, you know, as I mentioned before, having this abundance of data, but we are part of our process that we bring alongside the data is we're only going to be making use of the data that we're also at the same time understanding what our next steps are. So we're always doing those hand in hand and if we're launching um, a 
new flow, let's say, but nobody in the organization has any idea that it's happening or any insight into what you learn, or if it doesn't direct action, then in some ways it's a distraction. And I think that the danger of some of these tools in being as self-serve as they are is that it allows for a number of different people across the organization to be using them differently and sometimes at odds with one another. So people, it's a common uh, topic, let's say that think of data literacy, and I don't mean to add more jargon or buzzwords, but I think it's, Mm -hmm. I think it's important to think about how, like, what is the data literacy of our organization? What is our commitment to making sure that we're all at the same, at least baseline of it? Um, because that's going to accelerate our ability to, to make decisions off of that data um, and make them in a way that allow everybody across the organization to get on board with that. And I think in some of these campaigns, it's just as important to have a rallying cry that the entire organization can get behind and really brings the product team and the marketing team and the insights team on the same page. Um, because something that I talk about is it's hard enough to, you know, you're competing with other products out there. You don't want to also be competing with other teams within your organization. Yeah. So that, 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 commitment and that um, that rallying cry, like I said, can really do a lot to motivate the organization um, and have some meaningful results. And, and Steve, the event that we spoke at, the, um, the topic of my keynote was actually about that, where what I was noticing from my perspective was user acquisition teams tend to be separated from the user retention teams. And you're really doing yourself a disservice because the UA team knows a lot about where these users come from. And just understanding what ads they clicked on or what was important to them is very important information for the team that's responsible with holding on to those users and engaging with them. So if you know what creative jumped out at them at the point that they first entered your ecosystem, you have a great data point for how to continue to engage with them. And then vice versa, the team that's responsible for holding on to those users has a lot of information for the user acquisition side of like, which users go on to be the best users. So if your organization is siloed, you're not, taking advantage of that information. And it also just creates a weird experience for the user, right? It's disjointed. So to the degree that we can just take a step back, we all benefit from it. Um, And sometimes this technology just gets in the way of that common sense moment of like, we're all fighting for the same thing. I like that. What do you suggest to those? Because I have talked to a lot of UA people and that's just it, right? Like I think from a growth perspective, Hey, I'm only focused on the top of the funnel. You got another team that's focused more on the bottom of the funnel. Is it just as easy as just like, Hey, meet weekly or, you know, is there a process that you like to put in place that sort of systemize and make sure that these two teams are talking to each other? 
Yeah, I think that um, it's certainly a combination of the two. Um, I think that there's always going to be certain things that you're going to have to get people in a room together or on a call together, and, and there's no replacement for that. But when I said data literacy before, I think that that's a, an aspect of it as well. And even when it comes to meetings versus Slack, having some sort of agreement internally on how you use all of those different channels is worth taking the time to do because I, I know that I've been parts of organizations where some people really don't want to have in-person meetings and they're relying on email or Slack. So it's important when people talk about culture within an organization, I think the way that they communicate with one another is something that has to be formalized so that you can communicate, like, this is how we structure our projects here. Um, and you have to get on board with that when you're part of this organization. Um, I think that that also allows for every project to happen a little more efficiently if the marketing team doesn't have to relearn how the product team summarizes like, what they're doing. If there's more consistency from one group to the other, it allows people to lean in um, and not have to like take hours and hours of understanding the, the origins of, of how every project is working. Yeah. So that's why those visualizations are an example of something that you can do. Other examples that I've been hearing at events are about really using uh, wiki or like team websites to document uh, both definitions as well as decisions that are made. And this is the kind of stuff that we spend um, some time uh, doing on behalf of our clients because this is another moment that happens in every kickoff conversation where the client will say to us, this is stuff that we've meant to document somewhere. We just haven't had time to do that. And it totally makes sense that in the sprint to get stuff done, stuff like defining your terms can fall uh, by the wayside. But that's the difference between any new team member or even any existing team member, being able to lean in and participate in those conversations. And then the thing that I say that, that always resonates and um, scares people to some degree is like somebody in this organization is gonna leave or is gonna have the flu or is gonna go on a three week honeymoon and so you really do need to document not just the terms, but also the decisions that are made. Because another thing that's super common is when it comes to an integration um, or a business decision, it's not often that there's one clear winner. And so it's important to document like why you make a decision, uh, why you didn't decide to go other routes, because you can look back on those decisions three years later and say, this is so stupid. Who is this idiot that made this decision and why would they have ever decided it this way? Um, so to have that context documented alongside it helps understand why it was a smart decision to make at the time. There's important context in that. So you know, unfortunately, there's no silver bullet. Um, meetings and long email threads are going to always be part of any business that has uh, human beings related to it. But I think there are these kinds of frameworks or documentation that can at least make a very thorny, noisy decision uh, a little 
a little less uh, obtuse or, you know, easier for somebody to jump in. So those are the things that you can do is just for a second, step outside of the process and imagine, like, I like to do this with an email as well that I'm sending it. I always imagine that somebody is checking it on their cell phone, right? So I try to write the email not in the way that makes most sense to me, somebody who's been maybe thinking about this process for the last four hours, but imagining that somebody has been working on a different project and is just jumping in. How can I provide information for them in a way that they can hop in and, and hop back out? And that, that's a good analogy for the way that you can manage a project so that you can get buy-in from across the organization. Hey, Rebecca, I do want to talk to you about your perspective on growth, because when people come to us for app download growth, you know, I've been talking about, well, a lot of the podcast has always been about the top of the funnel, like how do you grow down, how do you grow downloads? And I've been shifting that conversation to more be more about engagement and retention while you can get as many downloads as you can. If people aren't coming back, it's going to hurt everything else in terms of your keyword rankings, everything else related to growth. What's your perspective been about how you try to approach a broad term like growth? Yeah. Uh, well, it's exciting for me to get to answer that question because I think it's, I think we at Notable are occupying that middle of the funnel territory. And I think it is also, like you said, sort of separates us from both other agencies doing it as well as other people having that conversation. Um, I have worked on acquisition campaigns before where we were a big part of the monthly targets was just about replacing the users that we were losing every month. Yep. And so um, I've said before that sometimes the best offense is a good defense. And so, you know, it's, it, it goes back to the, the different levers that any marketer has to pull, which is we can always be bringing more people in the top of the funnel, or we can just be doing a better job of holding on to those that, that we have. And there's a lot of conversations about this right now as some of uh the, the companies out there that have been getting the most attention when it comes to their IPOs, there's this backlash against just growing without the ability to hold on to those users or even demonstrate that you've acquired them in a meaningful way and they're using your product. And people are adjusting what they even mean by monthly active users, like what does active mean? So I certainly think that the most profitable and efficient way of acquiring users is to do so with an eye towards how you're going to engage those users. Um, and what's the point of even acquiring users that, that aren't going to go on to be um, meaningful contributors, right? It just skews every number if you're then looking at the way that people are, are using your product, you might be acquiring and, and designing a product for an audience that doesn't exist. So an efficient thing is always going to be to look at those users who are going on to use your product or finding value in it. And then, you know, as I mentioned, um, in, in terms of removing those silos, having the engagement and retention team report back to the teams that are responsible for acquiring those users. And like I said before about maybe working too hard, 
I think that this is another example where if you really get a clear eye on those users that are finding value in your product and you're shaping not just the product, but also your marketing efforts around those users, there's a lot of efficiencies there. So we'll look at marketing campaigns. And sometimes it's just as much about pruning down the campaigns that you're sending as it is adding new moments. Because it's important for us to identify the degree to which your marketing campaigns are adding incremental activity. So if you're sending promotions to users around this time of year, and people would have been coming at the holidays to buy stuff anyway, um, or you're sending a message that doesn't resonate with the segment of your users who are even open to your marketing campaigns in the first place, you're working harder than you need to, and you're just adding more noise to somebody's already noisy inbox. So you have to get clear, not just on like what's working, but what's working for that channel. Like there's no point in sending emails with a message that doesn't resonate with users via email. And you've got the tools and the technology to be able to do that. You just have to kind of like take a step back and think about what question you're trying to answer. Is there a place that you like to start or is it just from what I'm hearing is, hey, look, I'll look at the client, I'll look at the details, we'll look at the data and we'll kind of help them with the right process. Or do you feel like, hey, there's one channel that every client tends to overlook and there's always one thing that, you know, there's a set of things that I'm like, look, have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? That you can tell to a majority of the clients. Yeah, I like this question because it's something that I had to learn um, because I think there's a natural arc to many of the conversations that we have. And there's always a moment in the kickoff where the client tells us why either like their industry or their particular product is so different from everybody else that we've ever right. worked with. Yep. Yep, yep. And um, I look at that in a couple of ways. One way is that might be the case, but the people that you're marketing towards still have one inbox. So uh, it's less about why your product is different and more about who is it that you're reaching and how are you going to compete with all the different touch points that they have. Um, And the other thing that I think about this is I think it's very interesting when we're working with a number of different products I think it's very interesting to bring a concept that has worked well in one industry and introduce it somewhere else. Because again, there's these underlying concepts that we as human beings, um, you know, they work with us. And we may have had success using that with a streaming company. And I think it's much more interesting if we can now, let's say we're talking to a retail client how can we use this campaign for retail as opposed to like introducing it to other streaming clients of ours, because that's already been done there. Mm. Um, But how can we reimagine it? But your question about channels and, and like, is there one that, that clients are just underutilizing? 
that's the part where I think it makes a lot of sense to get away from the averages that everybody's looking at and start to dig in channel by channel because what we often find is that that everybody's putting together a snapshot of how their marketing is working. And unfortunately, it's disguising um, like the, the things that are working very well and the audiences against which they're working. And what I find is that they, they will tell me, so on average, our users uh, visit this page three times a month or they use this feature twice in their first week. And then if we just look one level down um, by either channel or segment, what we find is that that scenario that they described, it doesn't really apply to anybody. It's just an average, oh. right? And so if we just break it down by their three most active segments, suddenly we get these three life cycles um, of their audience that look very different from one another. And if we just talk to each of those three segments, uh, like a little more personalization towards those audiences, we see dramatic increases in, in the way they perform. But when we were looking at that, that average, it's like not describing anybody in their audience. Yeah, I um, like that. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's where we start. And again, I go back to that thing of, we're not looking to necessarily introduce brand new tools and, and really change things. It's about how we can just step-by-step step evolve the marketing that they're doing. Um, because my own experience of hiring agencies, um, it was either they would make a lot of suggestions, but they wouldn't be involved in enacting some of those. And so I always want to be presenting the big picture and introducing um, some exciting changes that I think that we can make, but I always want to have very tangible things that we can be doing um, in parallel and uh, not really stop everything that they're doing. Um, and of course, the sooner that we can show uh, a win and, and some improvements, the more likely we are to be invited to stick around and enact some of those bigger changes. Hey, Rebecca, do you have an example? I love what you said about like looking at what's worked well in one industry and then bring it to another. Do you have an example of how you might have done that for a client of yours? I do. So I think that there are these um, common scenarios. Uh, so, you know, when you were also mentioning, like, are there certain things that, that where we start or that we bring to every client, you know, everybody is onboarding, right? Or everybody is trying to move somebody to try a different um part of the app. So when I think about, there's a concept that we call um, the handoff. And um, it was even something that we started at Prolific where we were working with a streaming partner. And it's very common that if you're subscribing to one of these streaming services, you're doing so initially because there's a particular program that brought you there you watch the entire season. Um, it's, it's certain almost that when season two starts or season three, you're going to be back. And the question is, how do we keep you engaged in between those seasons? So the handoff was all about how do we 
introduce you to something else, either while you're in the middle of watching the first thing um, or towards the end of that season, how do we hand you off to, to um, a different program? We brought a similar concept um, to a QSR, they say quick serve restaurant. And um, very similarly, that client has, um, they wanna introduce people who are eating one, one item in particular off of the menu to a different item. And that's because if you're eating one thing at a restaurant, there's probably only so often that you can eat at that restaurant. But suddenly if they introduce you to something very different on the menu, it's likely that you can come back. And if that one item uh, is in season or out of season, you'll have a different reason to come back. And I think that that's a very telling example of this concept that I'm talking about that it's, it's hard to think of too many similarities between streaming services and fast food. But that concept, um, it really finds its, its way into so many different campaigns that we're working on with brands of, uh, across all industries. And even as I'm telling the story, I can imagine something being very true for apparel. Um, and if I'm buying sneakers, for example, from somebody, there's only you know twice a year typically that I would buy uh, running shoes. But if you can introduce me to other products that you make, it's much more likely that I'm going to either come more often or it's going to increase the, the size of, of my basket. And then you have all different opportunities to send me campaigns letting me know about the, the different products. So you can imagine how this like it. Yeah, it can make its way into uh, to almost any any industry. Do you have a name for this thing? For the so for the handoff? Yeah, oh, I guess yeah, the handoff. Yeah, yeah, yeah I I know I I I'm a marketer so I like to come up with different terms for these things, but I think yeah, we should put like a a menu of items on our uh, on our website. But I think that question of like, when does it make sense to work with an agency? That's probably a good example of something that you do pick up if you're working with somebody who's, who's has that rapid exposure. Um, and I think what's exciting about that and what I sort of invite people to think about is to imagine how something that, that you like, a commercial that you like, or a campaign that really resonates in a space that's totally different from the one you're in, um, how you can how you can reinvent that uh, for your own uh, marketing efforts. I love it. I love it. The handoff strategy. So what we're the handoff it. strategy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I trademarked to the end of that. Yeah. Hey, Rebecca, is there anything I missed that you want to make sure we cover? You know, I'm just. Uh, I think that anybody who's listening to this podcast is that kind of person who is curious, like we are. Um, so I think just keep taking advantage of these kinds of resources and, and Googling things and attending events and talking to other people who are in your space. Um, keep doing what you're doing. And I hope that, uh, we get to meet some new people as, as a result of being featured here. Yeah. I love it. Hey, Rebecca, before we hit the, do hit the big finish, I'm going to ask you for a favorite app of yours. So keep that in mind. But I want to thank my sponsor, Pollen.vc. Look, guys, if you have done the work, you talked, you looked at what Rebecca talked about, use this handoff strategy to really bring back your users or get them to buy other things and increase that average 
order size and you want access to those funds because you've got a growth channel that's really working for you today, well, check out Paulin.vc. What they do is the hard-earned revenues that you've earned, generated through the app stores and through the ad networks, you're able to get that faster because there are delays in the time that Apple and Google and all the ad networks take to actually pay you. And so if you want that money, like you just launched your app and you've generated this huge amount of money, but you have to wait 60, 90 days to get that fund, well, you're limited. Well, Pollen comes in there, gives you access to those funds a lot sooner so that you can reinvest in any of the campaigns that are working well for you. So if you're interested in learning more, go check them out, paulin.vc, paulin.vc. It really solves a problem that a lot of our app developers have. So once again, paulin.vc. Rebecca, this has been absolutely amazing, but let's go to the big finish. Give us one app we should definitely check out. <laughs> well, this is for uh, my ladies out there. Um, I love using Rent the Runway. And I love using it both as a consumer, but also as a marketer, because I'm super interested by the different attributes they're collecting from me um, and the way that they're using user feedback and uh, reviews and, and images um, to improve and scale their experience. I love it. I've been, I've been looking at that just for my wife as well. And then I'm like, huh, I want something like this as well. We're like, hey, we should make our Christmas party a, a black tie type of event. <laughs> See? And, and it's funny because my introduction, my, the thing that actually had me decide to sign up for Rent the Runway was a great presentation that I saw at MAU. So I totally came at it from a marketing event, but uh, love it as a consumer as well. That's awesome. Hey, Rebecca, what's a lesson? It doesn't have to be in business, but it could be in personal as well. But what's a lesson that took you the longest to learn? <laughs> I, I'll tell you, it's that um, I could I, answer the problem myself. I, I think that for so long, I was looking for the other adults in the room to answer the question. And I was attending all of these events. And like I said, here I am being featured on, on this podcast that I started listening to in order to understand what other people in the space were doing. So I think all of a sudden having that confidence of like, I have something unique to answer and to provide and the things that make me different are what make me interesting in this conversation. Uh, took me longer than I wish it had to realize, but here I am. <laughs> Here you are. No better way to end than on that particular note. The website, if you guys are interested in working with Rebecca and her team, is notablegrowth.com, notablegrowth.com. Rebecca, if the audience wants to follow up with you in any other way, do you want to send them anywhere else? They can reach out to me on LinkedIn, but we have a contact field on the website as well. So thanks for asking. Awesome. All that is linked up into the show notes as well as Rebecca's LinkedIn profile if you want to just say hi to her. But Rebecca, thank you so much for taking time and doing this. This was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for, for chatting with me and, and featuring us. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Come back anytime you want. And thank you all for listening. I'll see you on the next chat. Thanks for listening to the App Masters Podcast. For show notes and amazing app marketing content, check out appmasters.co.